Watch podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch podcast, we're going to cover the topic of cover crop grazing. To discuss this topic, I'm joined today by Dr. Mary Janowski, who's a beef system specialist with the University of Nebraska. Thanks for joining me today. I'm glad to be here, Aaron. Dr. Janowski, you've done a lot of research looking at cover crops, different cover crop mixes, seeding rates, timing of seeding, looking at cattle performance. As you think about cover crops in Nebraska and you've looked at some things that have worked well, haven't worked well, what would be some key things you think producers should know and understand if they're considering utilizing cover crops in their operation for grazing with either weaned calves or maybe even mature cows? Well, I think the first thing that pops into my mind is that planting date is the key determinant of success and also should be the key determinant of what you plant. So one of the number one um, things that I have seen happen is a producer plants something and then they're disappointed in the result. And when we start talking, what we learn is that they planted something that really didn't fit in the time frame. In particular, let's talk about um, you know, if you're looking for fall grazing, you've really got to plant in late summer to be able to get anything uh, to really create enough biomass. So the latest we can plant is late summer to get enough biomass for much fall grazing. Instead, what I see is a lot of people trying to plant in October and then um, being upset that they don't have very much for fall. So if we are doing late summer planting, like after wheat um, or after even corn silage, if it's early harvested corn silage, then planting something that is, will winter kill um, actually is a good idea because it grows more rapidly than the things that are winter hardy. So what I'm talking about there is uh, good old oats. Good old oats is a great uh, thing to plant in late summer, like August up until about the first week of September to have some growth that you can graze in the fall and into the winter. And oats will be very, very high quality uh, when they're planted in that time frame. So we can get great gains on calves. I mean, it'd be actually really good even for a lactating cow. We've done fall calving cows on just oats in the fall, like when they're breeding bread and they breed up really well. Um, so it's a great feed stuff. We can add a brassica in there. If somebody's looking for a little bit of diversity, brassicas do increase the performance a bit on the calves and lower the seed costs. So that's a good thing. Uh, however, when we get into after that, you know, first week of September, we might as well move to something that's winter hardy and really target spring grazing because you're just not going to get enough growth to amass enough to make it worth grazing in the fall. So then the question that I always get is, well, what do I plant? And the options, right, are pretty limited for winter hardy species. We have cereal rye, we have winter wheat, winter triticale. And in terms of legumes, uh, hairy vetch is probably one of the few that will overwinter consistently. There's really not a lot of broadleafs that overwinter. Um, so the grasses are kind of key. Then which do I select? Do I select rye? Do I select wheat? Do I select triticale? That's actually been something we've been doing some research on over the past few years. Uh, and what's been intriguing to me is that we really don't see a lot of difference in quality between the wheat, triticale, and rye 
uh, for spring grazing. We also have not seen huge differences in the amount of grazing that we can achieve when we are actually trying to use it as a cover crop and we're going to get in and plant an X crop by the middle of May, maybe the end of May. We just don't see a whole lot of differences among the species with the exception of rye becomes uh, grazable heights about a week earlier than the other two. So that's kind of been intriguing to me because I thought, to be honest, I thought that uh, rye might um, be a little bit lower quality as it might mature more quickly. But if we manage grazing such that we maintain those species in a vegetative state, meaning we just kind of try to keep them between, you know, eight and, uh, and say three inches. So we've been doing rotational grazing with fairly high stocking rate. We actually just don't see much differences among the species, which is kind of neat. So it allows you to have some opportunities. If you live in, in the West, let's say where, uh, wheat is king and uh, you don't want to risk having feral rye, then planting wheat or triticale uh, can work just fine. The only real difference is just the fact that we are now going to have something that maybe delays grazing by about a week. So I just think that's pretty neat and pretty useful uh, info to have. The other thing that I've learned is that we need to get on it early. Um, one of the biggest mistakes and one of the reasons why I think some people think that the rye is lower quality is that we don't get on it early enough. So my recommendation is actually as soon as it hits about five inches, it's time to turn out and start grazing. Admittedly, that may be early, uh, like April, mid, um, early to mid-April. And in that case, there may have, let's say, another cold event come through. We all know that We've had some blizzards in April, um, and you may have to pull off or feed them something else uh, during that time period and allow that grass to recover. But if the weather uh, decides to cooperate, uh, the problem is that if we don't get on it early enough, then it does get away from us, and then quality goes down. Uh, they don't want to graze it as well, and we don't get as much performance or as much grazing out of it. What would be the expectation for cattle performance as we look at some of these things like oats in the fall for weaned calves? And then as we look at uh, rye, triticale, wheat in the spring? Yeah, so um, we do a lot of work with growing calves just because it's easy to measure uh, performance, right? We can measure gains. And so what we've seen with oats or oats and brassicas is a gain that really ranges anywhere from about a pound and a half to about two pounds and a quarter. And the variability is driven mainly by weather. If we have wet events, so if we have snowfall, um, freezing rain, anything like that, we will see the lower end of the spectrum, especially if you have multiple vents while they're out grazing. And it's really just an increase in their energy um, needs right to stay warm um, so we see a little bit decrease in performance because of that so it's really a year-to-year -year variation we don't see huge variations in quality of the forage um, and thus cattle response when we're talking about in the spring that's another thing i've been very surprised by we fairly consistently got about three pound a day gain on um, nest case a little bit heavier calf so they're usually going in at six or seven hundred pounds 
um, in that spring time period, and they're gaining about three pounds a day. I think with lighter calves, we probably get a little bit lower gain because I do think protein's probably going to limit the um, those calves just a bit in terms of their gains. In terms of cows, uh, what we've seen is that on oats, we actually see that in most cases, even a cow in early lactation is going to gain weight if we don't limit her intake. So it's good enough to gain body condition on a cow in early lactation, which that just tells you how good uh, that quality is. It's somewhere around, it's, it's somewhere around 65 to 70 TDN. So not quite as high energy as corn silage, but it's getting up there into some high energy. And the protein is pretty much like a medium quality alfalfa. Same thing with that rye um, or wheat or triticale. As long as we keep it vegetative, we see in the mid-60s to um, high 60s for TDN, and then we see a very high protein content somewhere in that range of 15 um, to 20, so very much like alfalfa. Let's talk a little about grazing management of some of these late summer planted forages. I'm thinking here of oats primarily, then the brassicas. You can accumulate a lot of forage out there. How are you handling grazing management to effectively, efficiently capture what you've grown? Yeah, it's a great question, Aaron. That was actually one of the things that we noticed in the first few years of grazing was that we would have a lot of biomass. We go, oh man, we're going to be able to graze for a long time. And then we would have um, a wet event or something happen and we'd look out there and be like, where'd all the forage go? <laughs> so we were not getting as much grazing as I would have expected. If you would do the math, the disappearance was getting up there into the four, five, six, and even sometimes 10% of body weight per day. So we're kind of looking at it going, wow, we are trampling in a lot of forage. So last year, we actually did a study where we looked at what if we just allocated the forage twice a week, so we strip grazed um, versus this kind of continuous set stocking that we were doing. And we increased forage utilization by about 40%. And that really uh, helped pencil out uh, in terms of the economics. Yes, it is more labor. And we were charging about 16 cents per head per day for labor. And it still uh, made sense to go ahead and allocate that forage because of how much more grazing we captured per acre. Um, we do see that by doing that, because we are limiting selectivity a bit on those animals, we do see a little bit reduced gains. Gain per acre increases, gain per calf decreases. But again, we were going from uh, last year, it was about two pounds a day, and we went down to like 1.7 pounds a day. So still really good rate of gain, but by stripping, we reduced selectivity. We did get a little bit lower gain per day. Um, on those calves, but overall we got more gain per the amount of forage. So it's still penciled out. As you think about grazing management also on these fall forage and spring, any other management practices just in terms of caring for cattle, things to be aware of when you're grazing these annual forages in the fall and winter and early spring? Yeah. So the early spring grazing, one of the things that um, I've taken away from the wheat grazing data down south is that 
we do see a response in terms of growth of calves to providing um, salt and magnesium. So I always make sure to provide a high magnesium mineral, even to growing calves, not because I'm trying to avoid grass tetany. Um, you won't see uh, clinical signs of grass tetany in those calves, but you do see that you'll get about a tenth of a pound a day gain response to providing that magnesium and that salt. Um, if they're, of course, a lactating cow, so if you're putting out your spring calving cow, then, of course, you do need that high magnesium mineral because they have higher requirements due to lactation. Um, but I think it's a good idea for all classes of cattle to go ahead and get that high mag mineral out there when they're on um, those small cereals in the spring. I think wheat's a little bit lower in magnesium than triticalian rye based off of um, the data that I've seen, but I still think all of them, it's a good idea to go ahead and do that. In terms of other management considerations, I think um, one thing that has been a little bit surprising to me is just that uh, it looks like there's not a lot of forage out there in the late summer period after oats kind of get winter killed. So after they get uh, frost killed, they start browning off, they don't look high quality, and they also really melt down and they get really, really short. You really have to go out there and just start picking stuff up to see how much is there. Because oftentimes um, when somebody starts grazing that, they want to pull early because they think there's not much left out there when indeed there's a lot more than they may, might actually uh, think. So that was one of the interesting things that happened very early on working with some of the managers of the cattle that we were grazing. They kept calling me and saying, hey, uh, I think we need to pull them. And I'd be like, really? I was just out there. There was a lot of forage. And I'd go out and look at it and go, what are they talking about? But that's the difference was just you got to get out in the field. You got to kind of fluff it up with your hands and see how much is really here because it really gets um, melted down to where it looks like there's only one or two inches when there's still grass blades that might be six or seven inches out there. I guess also with that, uh, it does brown off, but actually those oats hold their quality pretty well uh, through the fall and into the winter, don't they? Yeah, exactly. Um, oats and brassicas both. We just see that uh, while it looks, it looks horrible, um, the quality is there. And that's mostly because we, while we do lose some sugar content, um, what is there is the fiber and that fiber is actually very digestible. So it has a lot of energy in it um, because those plants don't actually start producing lignin because of the temperatures are being grown in. So they don't ever actually want to really mature. Now I say that, and the one caveat to that is if you plant those oats early, like middle of July, then that's a whole different ball game because it's actually warm enough to where they think they want to go reproductive. So they'll actually um, very quickly want to put out a head and a stem and those will be lower quality. So my suggestion is kind of delaying until the 1st of August, if you're going to go ahead and plant those oats or making sure that you actually plant a forage variety that's going to be a later maturing and that'll help maintain that quality. But when you plant August 1st or later, we actually see the quality is really, really high. And um, the looks are not a good indicator of that quality after it gets winter killed. 
any other key things you think would be valuable for producers to know and understand as they think about cover crops and how they might be integrated into their operation? Well, I think one key thing, we've talked a lot about grasses, and there's a reason why we talked a lot about grasses. Grasses are the biomass producers. So I think about grass as being king when it comes to grazing. There are a lot of other things you can plant as cover crops, but if your goal is to produce uh, biomass for grazing, if there's something you want to have grazable yield, then don't skimp on the grass. Make sure that you have enough grass and the right grass for the time period. Um, so like I said, late summer planting, we're going to do uh, those winter sensitive species like oats or spring triticale. Um, for winter hardy species for spring grazing, we're talking about cereal rye, uh, winter wheat, winter triticale. And then the other period that people might think about planting a, a cover crop might be like after wheat, if it's harvested early, like in July, you could put in a warm season. So what we're talking about there is something like sorghum sedan or pearl millet. Um, and planting those at that time will also give you a lot of yield. So don't skimp on the grass if you're looking for forage. Um, other species that you put in, you probably need to recognize that you're likely planting them for other goals. And so uh, forage is grass. Everything else is really about um, other soil benefits and it will bring down one of the one of the challenges that we have is kind of that balance and you don't want to get so low on the grass seeding rates that you don't get enough biomass to make it worthwhile to graze. Well I really appreciate your input on this topic. Thanks again for joining me today. Yeah no problem. I always love talking about cover crops. I guess one other thing, Mary, before we wrap up, where would be a good source for people to go find more information on cover crop grazing and, and if they had some questions on that that could be helpful to them? Yeah, so if they go to the BEEF website, uh, beef.unl.edu, if they go to backslash cropland, uh, we have a lot of information about uh, grazing cover crops there. So there's a lot of uh, good articles and information that they could uh, learn a lot more. Well, as Dr. Janowski said, if you have more interest in cover crops and cover crop grazing, I would encourage you to visit the beef.unl.edu website. At the website, you can find articles and resources on this topic.